want us to continue with our study on Christ of the book. Now, next Sunday is Resurrection Sunday, and if you've been going here to Bible Fellowship for any length of time, you know that we don't call it Easter. We call it Resurrection Sunday. So next week, I'm going to be talking on Resurrection Sunday. We're going to be talking about the cross. We're going to be talking about uh, the empty tomb. Uh, We're going to be talking about a tomb they tried to seal, but they couldn't seal it. Or they did seal it, but it didn't stay sealed. And we're going to talk next week about why it didn't stay sealed. Why up from the grave he arose. So I'm excited about preaching uh, on the cross. Uh, To the world, that's foolishness. But to us who are saved, it's the power of God unto salvation. So we're going to be looking at the cross. We're going to be looking at the empty tomb next week. But until then, I want us to continue with our study of Christ of the book. And this, uh, this Sunday, we're going to be looking at First and Second Thessalonians. First and Second Thessalonians. In the book of Thessalonians, he is the believer's hope. That's who Christ is. He is the believer's hope. And, and as we were just singing that song, Because He Lives, I Can Face Tomorrow. I was thinking about the sermon and, and, and all that First Thessalonians and Second Thessalonians teach us about the coming of Christ. Wow, it would have been pretty wonderful had they had that song way back then. Because He Lives, I Can Face Tomorrow. Because I tell you, they were facing some pretty harsh persecution, difficult times. They were facing uh, times that they had no idea what the next day was going to bring for them. There was an intense persecution. But the Lord Jesus is their hope. As a matter of fact, every chapter in 1 Thessalonians, the primary theme is the coming of Christ. Now, 1 and 2 Thessalonians were the first two books that were written by the Apostle Paul. It had everything to do with the return of Christ. And we need to realize that the return of Christ is mentioned more often in the Bible than any other doctrinal teaching. The return of Christ is 318 times the return of Christ is mentioned in the Bible. Now, you have to determine if that return is talking about the rapture or the second coming. But they both have to do with Christ returning. The rapture, he returns in the air for us. And, you know, that, with that truth, God's Word tells us we're to comfort one another with that truth. So when you talk about the coming of Christ, you have to distinguish, you have to make sure, are you talking about the rapture for the church, the body of Christ, and we're going to talk about why that's so important, or the second coming, and the second coming is when Christ comes all the way back to earth, he establishes his kingdom in Jerusalem, every eye sees him, the rapture is a mystery, that is our exit. And the world is going to wonder, well, what happened to those pesky Christians? And believe me, the world is already starting to work on excuses and reasons of why so many people are out of here. Everything from aliens to, well, the government finally took 
pity on the world and got rid of all of you pesky believers who trust God and believe in God. So as you go through the scripture, you have to distinguish. Is it rapture or is it second coming? In the rapture, we're caught up to meet him in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. He didn't come all the way back to earth. We are caught up to meet him. Very much, very much, very obvious in First and Second Thessalonians. And again, more than any other doctrine, and it's important, it's absolutely significant as you study the Scripture. As a matter of fact, Titus 2.13 tells us that it's the return of Christ for His church, for His body, that is the blessed hope. The rapture is the blessed hope, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. That verse is so important because it tells us that the rapture is our blessed hope, but it also tells us the deity of Christ. It emphasizes the deity of Christ, looking for that glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. So it's imperative that we understand that that is what the rapture is. Every chapter in 1 Thessalonians talks about the coming of the Lord Jesus. And similar conditions existed back then that we see starting to happen here at this time in our lives. Uh, again, I, I wish we had weeks and weeks and weeks to cover First and Second Thessalonians, just like we took weeks and weeks to cover the book of Hebrews. I think when Sundar is done, I think what we're going to do is a verse-by-verse study of First and Second Thessalonians. And then we're gonna, we, we do want to do Hebrews at some point. But as going through this, and, I, and I, do, I do that in every book. I start going, on. oh, we need to teach this. Oh, this one needs. So every book in the Bible de- deserves, really demands, verse-by-verse study. So the next, the next study we're going to do on our Wednesday night study is First and Second Thessalonians and talk about some extremely important doctrinal truths that are surrounding the, the coming of Christ, the rapture and the day of the Lord, uh, and making sure we understand those uh, distinctions. The book of First and Second Thessalonians, or First Thessalonians, was Paul's first book. It was written during that transition period that we've been discussing. Uh, the whole point of, of Paul's letters to the church in Thessalonica was for them to understand what all was going on. Remember, there were those that thought the day of the Lord was, was, was about to, to take place. That is uh, the tribulation period. Matter of fact, Peter had already told him in Acts chapter 2 that what was going on on that day, this is that which was prophesied by Joel, talking about the day of the Lord, the tribulation period. And so these Gentile believers, who by grace had been saved through the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, these early believers, uh, uh, Gentiles, they were concerned that the day of the Lord was about to begin. Again, during that transition period, wondering exactly how long was this day of grace going to last. And the, and the letter to, the, to uh, those in Thessalonica was to make sure they understood what was going on. Now, this church in, in uh, Thessalonica was established during Paul's second missionary trip. It was, it was uh, there that... Uh, 
a lot of different important type of things happened. Uh, it was uh, the accusation that was made when Paul got there and the church started uh, functioning. There in Acts chapter 17, 6, uh, those that were hostile toward Paul and his teaching concerning the grace of God and, and salvation to the Gentiles, the accusation was those that have turned the world upside down have come hither, have come here also. Boy, I wish they'd make that accusation against our church. But it was at Acts chapter 17, verse 6, when he goes to the church and th uh, to, to Thessalonica, and he starts teaching, he starts preaching, and so many of those Thessalonians turned from idols to worship the true and living God. But it was during this process, or, or during that transition period, that Paul goes to them, and the, the church there in Thessalonica begins. It was about 52 A.D. when, when he writes uh, the letter to them, and to give you an idea, uh, the book of Hebrews was written about 54, two years later. Uh, the uh, Corinthian, the book to the churches in, in Corinth were written in 57, uh, 58. The book to, in Galatia, to Galatia was written about 58 A.D., Romans 59 A.D. So this letter to the Thessalon Thessalonians was written in about 52 A.D., the things that were going on during that time, the sign gifts were still available. The sign gifts were still being practiced. The sign gifts were being done in order to prove to an unbelieving, skeptical world that, yes, God uh, had extended salvation to the Gentiles by grace. Well, how can you prove it? Well, they're able, all the sign gifts that were uh, to, to Israel to prove that the Messiah had come. Look at what all God is doing here. All the things that had been prophesied that Israel was to see and witness when the Messiah was there. All of a sudden, these Gentile believers were able to practice, whether it be the healing, whether it be the tongues, whether it be the different gifts of the Spirit, the gift of knowledge, the gift of prophecy. All of those, prophet, uh, those gifts were going on during this time. And so there was power, there was demonstration of that power that these Gentile pagans saw and understood that God's hand was here in the midst of all this and God was at, at work. That revelation of the mystery, that truth that was given to Saul of Tarsus, our apostle, the apostle Paul, that mystery revelation, which had been hid in God from the beginning of the world, that revelation, that mystery was still developing during this early time. So when Paul wrote to the church in Thessalonica, he had not been given the full revelation of the mystery at that point. It, it, was, uh, it was not... Uh, secret to God. God understood. It was still developing, not, not developing in the mind of God, but as Israel's rejection of the king, as Israel's rejection of the Messiah became more and more evident in the land than outside the land, uh, the more of the mystery was revealed to Paul concerning this present dispensation of grace of God. But the paramount question at this early stage is, are we in the day of the Lord? Are we about to see the tri tribulation? 
Because that was a fearful thing. That was a concerning thing. And the whole key to understanding 1st and 2nd Thessalonians is to understand, and this is great news for you, believer. This is great news for you, Christian, that you have not been appointed to wrath. And that was the thing that Paul was making sure they understood. You've not been appointed to wrath. Because here's what's going to happen. So comfort one another with these words. Let me tell you, if I was sitting up here and the truth was, you're going to go through the tribulation. If the truth was, you are going to suffer the persecution, or you're going to suffer the wrath of God during the tribulation, there are no words that would be comforting, right? The Comfort one another with these words is what Paul tells the church in Thessalonica. What, which words are those? That the Lord's going to descend, He's going to catch the church away. The dead in Christ are going to rise first, and then we which are alive and remain are going to be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. So shall we ever be with the Lord? Comfort one another with these words. The very next chapter, he talks about, you're not children of the darkness. You're children of the light. You know about the day of the Lord. I told you about these things when I was there last time. So you're not going to participate. You're not going to have to go through that tribulation, that time of Jacob's trouble, because it has nothing to do with the church, the body of Christ. It has everything to do with God's program for the nation of Israel and how that jump starts again. So the whole letter to the Thessalonians was, you've not been appointed to wrath. What a blessing that is. Paul writes this from Corinth. Uh, he had gone to Thessalonica. Uh, there at Thessalonica, he pretty much escaped with his life. He goes to Berea. Remember, there in Berea is where uh, they well received him, and they wanted to hear more about what was going on. Uh, they, were, they were more noble than those in Thessalonica because they were willing to search the Scriptures daily to see if these things be so the things that Paul was teaching, the Jews there in Thessalonica, they were out for blood. They wanted to kill him. In Berea, they were more uh, willing to listen to what he had to say. And then from there, he goes to, to Corinth, and it's in Acts 18, 11, where I believe he writes 1 Thessalonians, and he's there for two years. During that period of time, he writes 1 and 2 Thessalonians and the book of Hebrews. Matter of fact, the, the, the book of First and Second Thessalonians are only written a few months apart because the first letter assures them you've not been appointed to wrath. You're not going to go through or have to endure the tribulation, the time of Jacob's trouble. But then all of a sudden in Thessalonica, somebody sends him a letter saying, oh yeah, you're already in it. And he, make, he answers that. And he tells them, no, 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 no. And he answers that there uh, in, in Thessalonica. But he's also there as he's writing to them, uh, and making sure they understand that, that God is working in their lives, and he is so concerned about them that he sends Timothy back to them. 
And when Timothy goes back and he finds out about how they're doing, because the Apostle Paul is so concerned about the persecution that they are under. As a matter of fact, look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 9. Verse 9, for they themselves show us what manner of entering in we had unto you, and how you turn to God from idols, you serve the living and true God. Turning from idols, we read that and we don't get the full impact of what it meant to turn from idols. You have to understand the the paganism that they were steeped in. You have to understand the debauchery that was part of that. You have to understand how evil, how wicked, how demeaning the level of darkness they were steeped in. To understand that that Scripture, to get the full impact of that Scripture, that they turned to God from worshiping idols. What a testimony of God's power and of His might. And when Timothy goes back, he finds that their faith is strong. What an encouragement that is. When they go back, when Timothy goes, he finds out that they're they're loving one another. They are worshiping. their, Their faith is strong. Their love is strong. Their hope is strong. What a testimony it is. He's writing this from Corinth, and it's not going to be much longer that that whole theme is going to... Uh, be talked about there in to the church in Corinth when he writes to them a little bit later on about faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these three is love. And he, he reemphasizes that whole theme again because that's what's important that the church does. That's, that's when you stop and think about it, the testimony that the church has that they love God, they desire to serve God, that they have been redeemed by the precious blood of the Lamb is that their faith in Christ is strong, that their love for Him and their love for one another is strong, that they, their hope, and we're not talking about the kind of hope where, well, I hope we go to heaven. Oh, we, we, we hope that uh, something good comes out of this. See, the hope that, that, that this is talking about is not a hope that's uncertain, that's a maybe. It's where the expectation, it just has not been realized yet. Our hope is in the rapture of the church. Our hope is in Christ coming and, and His will being done in our lives, in this world. It's, it, we don't hope that we're going to heaven we have the hope of heaven. Does that make sense? I don't hope that I'm going to heaven. I know that I'm going to heaven. But I have the hope of heaven in my heart. I know that I am seated there right now in the Lord Jesus. That is my position this very moment. So that's, that was the testimony here that when Timothy went and came back and reported to, to Paul that these Thessalonians Man, they were loving one another. They were loving God. Their faith was strong. They were looking to God. But there was an issue. There was an uncertainty. And Paul wanted to make sure they understood this. And folks, the church, the body of Christ needs to understand it today just as certain, certainly as they needed to understand it back then, is that you have not been appointed to wrath. As a matter of fact, right after verse 9, 
1 Thessalonians 1.10. And to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. Now, that wrath is not standing before God on judgment day and him saying, depart from me for I never knew you. Those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, that, that will never happen to you. That issue has been settled. You have been redeemed. You are a child of God. You are a member of the body of Christ. You have been sealed into the day of redemption. You'll never hear those words, depart from me, if by faith you've trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ. If you have believed that he died for your sins, was buried, and rose again. If you believe the gospel. If you believe the gospel. You will never hear those, those words. But it's imperative. Listen, Christian. It is absolutely necessary for us to understand that while we sojourn here, there, there are going to be trials, there are going to be persecutions, there's going to be difficult times, but we have not been appointed to wrath. Look at 1 Corinthians 5, I mean 1 Thessalonians 5, sorry Tim, 1 Thessalonians 5. So, verse 5. Now, so, verse 1. Sorry, Tim. But well, we, we need to look at all of this. But of the times and of the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. See, they, they understood that. What is the day of the Lord? It's the tribulation period. That's the time of Jacob's trouble. That's the things that Christ had taught during his earthly ministry concerning the tribulation period that is a day of wrath. For when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. But you, brethren, you're not in darkness that that day should overtake you as a thief. You are the children of light. And the children of the day, we are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. Boy, that scripture is for today too, folks. You need to be watching. You need to be sober. You need to understand what all is going on. Uh, I can tell you right now the world hates you. I can tell you right now that the, the world desires to destroy you, your testimony, your children, your family. The world desires to destroy you. If you think the world loves you, if you think the world is a lovely place, uh, beauty-wise, yeah, it's pretty outstanding. Nothing compared to heaven, but it's but the world system, it despises you. It hates you. We need to recognize and be aware of what's going on. Um, but more of that later. Therefore, let us watch and be sober. 
For they that sleep, sleep in the night, and they that be drunken are drunken in the night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. See, it goes back to that theme again. For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. The whole theme here is that Gentile believer, body of Christ, you are not going to go through the day of the Lord. You are not going to experience God's wrath. You need to realize that the only time God's wrath is being poured out is during the tribulation period. Even at the great white throne judgment, when the unsaved stand before the great white throne judgment, there is no wrath. There is perfect justice. There is no, God's not pouring out His wrath and pouring here. But during the tribulation, you have the trumpet judgments. You have the vile judgments or the bowls of wrath. You have God pouring out His wrath during that seven-year period. It's going to be horrendous. It's going to be a time that God pours out His vengeance. As a matter of fact, what the Bible... It, well, here, turn with me to Isaiah 13. Let's let God describe it, what the day of the Lord is all about. Just a couple of verses, just, just to make sure we understand. Look at Isaiah 13. Because Isaiah 13 is all about the day of the Lord. Let's start with verse 6. Howl ye, for the day of the Lord is at hand, and it shall come as a destruction from the Almighty. Therefore shall all hands be faint, and every man's heart shall melt. They shall be afraid, and pangs and sorrows shall take hold of them. They shall be in pain as a woman that travails. They shall be amazed one at another. Their faces shall be as flames. Behold the day of the Lord. And again, that's the tribulation. That's when the beast, the antichrist, the false prophet, that's when Satan is going about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. That tribulation period. And the last part of that tribulation period is the great and terrible day of the Lord. That's when God's wrath is poured out. Revelation 15, 1 talks about how that the wrath of God is poured out in its entirety. The full wrath of God is poured out on unbelieving mankind that have accepted the mark of the beast during that period of time. That's when God's wrath is poured out. But let's keep reading. Behold, the day of the Lord comes cruel, both with wrath and fierce anger, to lay the land desolate, and he shall destroy the sinners thereof out of, out of it. For the stars of heaven and the constellations thereof shall not give their light. The sun shall be darkened in his going forth, and the moon shall not cause her light to shine. And I will punish the world for their evil and the wicked for their iniquity. And I will cause the arrogancy of the proud to cease and lay low the haughtiness of the terror terrible. I will make a man more precious than fine gold, even a man that is golden wedge of Ophir. Therefore, I will shake the heavens, and the earth shall remove out of her place in the wrath of the Lord of hosts, and in the day of his fierce anger. That's the day of the Lord. That's what these Thessalonians were concerned about. Are we in that day? Look at Zephaniah. Look at Zephaniah. 
chapter 1. Look at Zephaniah 1, verse 14. The great day of the Lord is near, it is near, and it hastens greatly, even the voice of the day of the Lord. The mighty man shall cry there bitterly. That day is a day of wrath, a day of trouble and distress, a day of wasteness and desolation, a day of darkness and gloominess, and the day of clouds and thick darkness, a day of the trumpet and alarm against the fence cities and against the high towers. Drop down to chapter 2. Look at verse 2. Before the decree bring forth, before the day passes the shaft, before the fierce anger of the Lord come upon you, before the day of the Lord's anger come upon you, seek ye the Lord, all ye meek of the earth, which hath wrought his judgment. Seek righteousness, seek meekness, that it may be that you may be hid in the day of the Lord's anger. See, so that's what this church in Thessalonica thought was about to happen because somebody had told them, and again, they were in that transition period. they not sure how long this day of grace was going to go. Not sure are they going to have to go through that period. Because that's going to be a frightening period. Paul writes to them, you have not been appointed to wrath. And just as Paul told the church there in Thessalonica, you've not been appointed. They had not been appointed to wrath. You've not been appointed to wrath. Doesn't mean you're not going to suffer persecution. God's word is very clear that in the last days, perilous times shall come. We need to prepare to stand strong. We need to prepare to have faith. We need to prepare to, to do whatever we need to do in order to, to please God and to, and to serve Him and to be faithful during those times. It's not saying that the church is not going to suffer persecution. As a matter of fact, the opposite is true. I think we will, and we're about to. But we're not going to suffer the wrath of God. And that's what all this here is about. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. I always run out of time before I run out of material. But isn't that good? I said, just the Bible, I'm telling you. What a wealth, what a gold mine, how precious it is to study. There's so, there's so many, many glorious truths that we need, we need to, to study and learn from this book, and we will. But 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Um, as a matter of fact, it's in the book of Thessalonians that we find what the will of God is. People say, what is the will of God? Tell me what the will of God is. Well, I can tell you really quickly what the will of God is. And we find it in 1 Thessalonians to these early believers, things that they were told. Uh, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, Paul made sure they understand, you want to know the will of God? is to flee fornication. That's an easy one. Just... People say, well, I want to know the will of God. And, and I used to tell youth groups, well, flee fornication. That, that's, start with that one, and you'll be amazed at how God works in your life. Because that's, that's uh, verse three, chapter, uh, First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, uh, sanctification that you should abstain from fornication. So, 
Start with that to know the will of God. The second thing that he tells them is the will of God. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Start with verse 16. Rejoice evermore. Pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ concerning you. What? That you rejoice evermore, that you pray without ceasing, that you give thanks in everything. So if you want to know God's will for your life, and if you were to come to me and say, you know, Pastor, I'm just, I, I just want to know what God's will is for my life. Well, you know what my first two recommendations are going to be? Flee fornication and in everything give thanks. And then we'll go from there to see what God's plan is. But we know from Scripture that's His will for your life. Amen? Well, look at what else He tells them here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Verse 13, he wants, them, he wants to make sure they understand. I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not, even as others which are asleep, that, that you sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe, and that's key, and I hope this morning that every one of you do, you believe, for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, what do we call that? The gospel? If you believe the gospel, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first, then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them, those that are, dead, that are, that are there, with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. The second coming, he comes all the way back to earth. At the rapture, at the, at the catching away, at the harpazol, we are caught up to meet the Lord in, in the air. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Because you've not been appointed to wrath. And folks, every second we breathe, every second that passes, we are that much closer to this catching away, to the rapture of the church. And it should make us excited it should give us cause to serve, knowing that our time, our efforts, our ability to reach a lost world is going to come to a close. And until then, may God find us faithful as we're preaching, as we're teaching. Look at Second Thessalonians. Matter of fact, I think there are two keys to understanding the book, the, uh, these two books. One is that you've not been appointed to wrath, so say Amen. That the rapture of the church is your mystery exit. It's the same exit that Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 15.1. When he says, behold, I show you a mystery. See, the second coming was not a mystery. The second coming was not a mystery. It was an expectation. But what Paul is talking about for the church, the body of Christ, since you even being here is a mystery, since you even being a body is a mystery, your exit out of here is a mystery. 
Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, the last trump, this corruptible is going to put on incorruption. This mortal is going to put on immortality. And see, it's then as we are being caught up to meet the Lord in the air, as, as the rapture of the church takes place, and those who have believed the gospel, those who by faith have trusted Christ, as we are being caught up to meet the Lord in the air, that's when we can say, Oh, death, where is your sting? Grave, where is your victory? Because at the rapture, there is no sting of death. Death still has a sting. Many of you, I hope not a lot, and when I say many of us, we may face death. Death still has a sting. The grave still has the victory. I don't fear death. I don't fear the grave because I know what awaits. Boy, at the rapture, it's like death just missed that one because of God's faithfulness to catch us up, to meet the Lord in the air. But the church there in Thessalonica, they were hearing all sorts of rumors and had even received, oh, two things. One is you've not been appointed to wrath. I don't want to get past this. But look at 1 Thessalonians, or 2 Thessalonians, I'm sorry, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 12. As you study these two books, we've not been appointed to wrath, but also verse 12 is also an important one that the name of the Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you, church in Thessalonica, church in Dogtown, St. Louis, Missouri, and you in him according, may be glorified in you, and you in him according to the grace of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what God's plan and purpose is for you, that you've not been appointed to wrath, and that your job, your role, your purpose is to glorify God and him in you, to be a witness. But they'd gotten this letter, chapter 2, verse 1, Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, and by our gathering together unto him, that you be not so soon shaken in mind or troubled, because I just told you what the day of the Lord was about. And they were troubled. Uh-oh. They weren't comforted that you be not so soon shaken in mind or troubled, neither by spirit nor by word nor by letter from us, as the day of the Lord is at hand or the day of Christ is at hand. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come except there come a falling away first and that man of sin be revealed. When we do a verse-by-verse study, we're going to talk about that falling away first. Uh, Some translate that to departure. We're not going to take time to do that this morning, but we will during our verse-by-verse study. Some translate that to mean to come a departure first, which some consider that to be the rapture, or a falling away, or an apostasy, which seems to fit 1 Timothy 4.1. When we go through this verse-by-verse, we're going to talk about that. But the whole point is here, there's going to come a falling away. Don't Don't be concerned about this. But that day of the Lord is not going to come until there be a falling away first and that that man of sin, 
the Antichrist, the beast be revealed, that son of, son of perdition, who opposes himself and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he as God sits in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. So all that the day of the Lord are going to have these characteristics. The day of the Lord is going to have these descriptions. The beast and the false prophet are doing their things. That the day of the Lord is not going to come until he comes on the scene. Until there come a departure first. And God's going to send strong delusion for those who are left behind during the tribulation. There's going to be a strong delusion. There, there's, it's going to be a time, according to the Lord Jesus, such as a persecution and trouble that the world has never seen. Verse 12, that they might be damned who believed not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. See, that's when God's wrath is going to be poured out. But you have not been appointed to wrath. So here's the question. Are you ready? Are you ready for the rapture? Are you ready to stand before the Lord Jesus Christ? We're told to comfort one another with the fact that the rapture is going to take place. Look at 2 Thessalonians real quick. We'll be done. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, starting with verse 3. This is what Paul wanted to make sure the church in Thessalonica understood. As he went through all of these details about the Lord's coming. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. Verse 3, but the Lord is faithful. Amen. That ought to gladden your heart. But the Lord is faithful, who shall establish you and keep you from evil. Can you say amen to that? This is the promise from God. And we have confidence in the Lord touching you that you both do and will do the things that we commanded you. And the Lord direct your hearts unto the love of God and into the patient waiting for Christ. Because He hasn't forgotten you. He's coming back for you. His body. For your purpose. Or for His purpose in your life. Go back to 1 Thessalonians 5 real quick. Verse 23, 24. This is, this is what Paul wanted to make sure the church in Thessalonica and the church in St. Louis understand. And the very God of peace sanctify, which means to set you apart, sanctify you wholly, entirely. And I pray God your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Look at the next verse. He's praying that you're going to be preserved blameless. 
And some people say, well, that just means that you're not going to be sinning. But boy, if you sin, oops, yeah, you just messed up. But not with the next verse. His prayer is that you'll be preserved blameless unto the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 24, faithful is he that calls you who also will do it. Do what? Preserve you blameless. Preserve you blameless. You say, I don't deserve that. No, no, you don't. But by faith you've trusted in the one who was perfect. At least I hope you have this morning. If you haven't, it's not too late. You can do that right now. Don't wait until you're good enough, because you never will be. Don't wait until you straighten your own life up, because you'll never get it straightened. Besides, you could never do enough to satisfy God's righteous requirements anyway. But the Lord Jesus Christ has. And what God desires, what God the Father desires is that you believe by faith in the finished and complete work of God the Son. And the moment you do that, you are taken by the Holy Spirit and you are placed into Christ. You are sealed into the day of redemption. You are baptized by the Holy Spirit into Christ And that's how God preserves you blameless. Because you're in the blameless one. You're in Christ. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth of your word. Father, we rejoice in that salvation. Father, we thank you for that blessed hope of your return. Father, our hope is not a hope where we're uncertain of the outcome. But, Father, it's that hope that is deep in our heart that just penetrates where we have the expectation of the faithfulness of all that you've promised coming to pass. Father, we rejoice in that. We thank you for it. And I pray if there's anyone here this morning that's never by faith trusted in you, that they will not walk out of this building until they've settled that eternal issue. Father, by faith, they'll trust that Christ died for them, was buried, and rose again. And we pray these things in the precious name of Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. Amen.